0: gamers, sports fans of all ages, all that jazz, you're listening to quarter-circle backboard, the solo show dedicated to the sports that you like, the video games that I like. I'm Chris Mitchell, and yeah, what's up? It's been a little bit, we're about 10 hours behind schedule, but whatever, we'll make it work. Get this to pop real quick. Got a lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff happened like directly after last week's show, which is fun. <laughs> kind of is making me regret doing, switching it in the morning because all the, all the good stuff, all the stuff happens at least by Friday night, switching it up to Thursday morning. makes it a little bit tough to keep up while the happenings going on. So we'll talk about everything I missed that day plus a little bit more got a li- got a little bit of a bit of a balanced show for you. I think I got enough to sort of talk to you guys about this whole show. I'm going to do another preview of a college football division. I'm realizing that I'm going to have to cover at least a one conference per show as college football soon approaches and I'm we're like halfway through July and I've just gotten done with the SEC. <laughs> so I'm going to have to Speed it up a little bit. They might be a little bit abridged. Maybe we'll be able to get to all the stuff I want to talk about, but I don't know. There might be enough duds in the rest of these conferences to like, I don't know, warrant a, I guess like a, what's the word, hyphenated? No, some word, like a uh, abridged preview. So we're going to talk about SEC East, all that jazz, got some NFL news to talk about. To the tune of Grady Jarrett, defensive tackle for the Atlanta Falcons, just signed himself a four-year extension, throwing about six to eight million dollars on top of that. This might interest some people who may be Chiefs fans, because, as they probably know right now, Chris Jones, defensive. Lineman right now for Kansas City Chiefs is in a little bit of a contract holdout. He wants an extension, he wants to get paid. And he's holding out till at least some at the least uh the end of fall summer training, I guess. Summer, what's it called? It's not summer camp. But whatever, uh, I, word on the street is he's still gonna like show up to training camp. There we go. That's, <laughs> I figured it out. I had to go through like a whole bunch of different combinations of words before I figured out a training camp. I think he's still gonna be a training camp, but he still wants that contract. He's probably gonna hold out. Maybe some preseason games, maybe like actual NFL games till he gets that contract. And you know what? Good for him. He's, de- he's definitely he's uh, definitely played like someone who's earned a little bit more than what they're getting on their rookie contract. And I feel like the Chiefs are probably gonna have to cut him a deal that gets him like off the not off the books, but gets his like uh, salary somewhere like comfortable off the books for when they have to eventually pay Patrick Mahomes some ungodly amount of money. Probably the most an NFL quarterback will ever be paid, like, e- <laughs> like ever. <laughs> it's, it's a very good chance of that happening, especially since Dak Prescott signed his extension for, like... And that's, like, six... Fi- and That was, like, a six-figure extension he got with the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know, man. Man, they're just going to throw an ungodly amount of And you know what? That's probably not the worst way to spend, like... Six figures worth of money. I can't give you guys any, like, estimates on how much that contract might be worth. It's probably going to be worth a lot of money. (laughs) Just, like, so much money. Ugh. So that's going to be fun for all you, I don't know, salary cap nerds out there trying to run some numbers on how much it costs to run, like, a functional, like, consistently good football team. Because... It can, be, it can get expensive if you're not allocating the money correctly. Anyways, enough about pro stuff. It's time to talk about college football because, interesting, interestingly enough, media day was just, or media week, I suppose, So was just this week. So guys from all around different conferences, I think Big 12, the Big 12 had their media day. I think the SEC also had their media day. ACC did too. I'm pretty sure everyone else did, but no one really talked about him because, you know. (laughs) Yeah, anyways, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in relation to video games, actually. Before we get into that, got to do this preview, just get this out of the way. But I also want to talk about real quick. A uh, quick rule change for all you Big 12 fans out there and all you, especially all you Texas Longhorn fans. Horns down coming into this year, going to be penalized if any of you is caught doing it as like a celebration while you're playing against the University of Texas. So yeah, that's a bummer. Just They're just treating it like any other excessive celebration, which is kind of, it's like, come on, man. It's not... <laughs> what's excessive about it? It's just doing, like, the horn thing, but just down. It's not too extra. Nothing like that. It's like, uh... Shoot, when what's his face? Tom Herman did, like, the Drew Lock backpack thing when they played nazoon in the Texas Bowl. Nobody got a flag for that. Because it's just like a, you know, like a simple motion. A simple taunting motion. I feel like that should be you know, legal some way, shape or form. Cause if you if you're dropping the horns down, you you probably earned it. Like <laughs> if you watch that West Virginia game last year, West Virginia earned that horns down. So I don't know what these big twelve refs or Texas fans think they're fooling. Talk about horns down is excessive celebration. That's just bleh. That does not sit well with me. Lame as all get out. Anyways, moving on to the SEC East preview. Counterpart to SEC West. So let's talk about the biggest competition to Alabama in the SEC West in general. That's the University of Georgia. So... They're in a interesting spot because, for all intents and purposes, Georgia stacked. I believe I wrote it here in my notes. Georgia is bleeping stacked. They still got Jake Fromm. They still got DeAndre Swift. They got a good portion of that O-line back, that really good O-line. That includes All-American Andrew Thomas. They're all back on the flip side of the ball. isn't a whole lot of turnover there outside of DeAndre Baker, who just went to the NFL draft. Really, the only thing you need to, really, the biggest holes that you need to replace, like, on the field, are uh, Riley Ridley and Merkle Hardman, because they're both in the NFL now, and they were Jake Fromm's uh, top two wideouts. So that's going to be, I imagine it's going to be at least somewhat of a hassle to replace. Especially if you're Jake Fromm, who's, like, a senior now? Junior, senior, one of those. Oh, and uh, offensive coordinator Jim Chaney and defensive coordinator Mel Tucker left for Tennessee and Colorado. Jim Chaney is now, I believe, the offensive coordinator for Tennessee, and Mel Tucker is now the head coach, just straight-up head coach, of the University of Colorado, respectively. And so that does a few things. One thing it does for Georgia, it kind of opens up a few avenues, at least on the offensive side, because their red zone play calling not super great if you, like, run the numbers and check the tape. So it would be interesting to see—I forget the name of the new offensive coordinator— to see what he'll do to sort of shake things up and make them more potent on offense. And then you got—I believe the new defensive coordinator for Georgia is their old linebackers coach. And that dude, for, all, for what I've heard, is also pretty sick. So not a whole lot of— uh not a p- super terrible case to be in if you're Georgia, really. And on top of that, really the only like fiercest competition you have in the East is Florida, Mizzou, and South Carolina, and they're pretty far away from being super competitive with the Georgia by any stretch of the imagination. I think that goes for who they ha- who Georgia has to play in the SEC West as well. I feel like their closest uh, competitor to the throne, I guess, is Texas A&M. Maybe Auburn. Are they playing Auburn? I think they are. Anyways, they're they probably give them the bet, the greatest challenge outside of maybe the title game and outside of the playoff. And they'll probably win at least 10 games. But at some point, at some point, you're probably going to have Georgia fans are going to have it heart to heart themselves. Probably at some point during the title game when they're down two scores, to Alabama, and it's the same heart to heart they had to have with each other at the end of last year's title game. Or conference title game, and two years ago during the national title game. (laughs) And that question is Was this really worth it? (laughs) Are we happy (laughs) with where we're at right now? You're winning a lot of games, you're stacked on every facet of the ball. Kirby Smart, really good coach, got really good assistance at his disposal, but are you really happy? Does this spark joy? Does this brand of Georgia football spark joy at all? In the end, does it really matter? Go dogs. Go dogs. Anyways, moving on to Florida. Good news. Took about a season and a half for the Gators to get something out of flute Bay Franks. But towards the end of that last year's of season, he completed about 65% of his passes and threw no interceptions And on top of that, most of the top 20 in in S&P, if you go by that metric, shout out to Bill Connolly. Defense last year is back, and that O-line could also be pretty good. At least as good as it was last year, if not more so. Unfortunately, that's a pretty small sample size to work on. Because you yeah, you saw you saw Dan Mullen... I think you could see like most of Dan Mullen's finished product culminate in the last four games. Especially in that Orange Bowl. Was it the Orange Bowl? Orange Bowl win. Against Michigan, although I think with the proper context, I don't think Michigan was pre was very much interested in winning that bowl game after their Crazy dominant season in pretty much every facet of the ball. Last year got brought to a screeching halt thanks to, you guessed it, Ohio State. Just coming in out of the blue after they themselves just got trucked by Purdue. Still just no dice. Cannot do anything against Ohio State. So, yeah. I wouldn't play Michigan if they came to that bowl game, just sort of like, uh, I guess. Much like Georgia showed up to the Sugar Bowl against Texas last year. It's like, yeah, they won, and it's a good win, but were their hearts really? Was, Georgia, was Georgia's hearts really in it? Was Michigan's heart really in it? Anyways, my point is all you got to do if you're Florida is show that you can. You know, keep that same, you know, energy you had in the last four games of the season, you know over the whole season actually, instead of just in, you know, I guess you could you'd call it garbage time. You'll still probably go to a bowl game. You'll still probably win at least eight games. But yeah. I mean just just show it. Just got to show your stuff, and they'll probably they'll probably be fine. Right now, I'd probably have them as like the second. They're probably they're probably the ones closest to like nipping at the heels of uh, Georgia right now. And after that, I think is the University of Missouri, Missouri football. <sighs> There's a lot to talk about, so let's just. Get this out of the way. After Mizzou got hit with that NCAA Rico, there's been a lot of question marks and unknowns about post-seasons, bowl eligibility, things of that nature. But here is what we do know. In the event of getting banned from playing in the postseason your senior year, juniors and under have the option of transferring to another school without waiting a whole year to play. I believe those are NCAA rules. And nobody left except for one sophomore corner who wasn't really to my knowledge and to what I saw did not get much playing time at all. Anyways, I think if nothing else, that's indicative of the culture that Barry Odom has been trying to build ever since he became the interim coach of Mizzou. Because having like that strong culture is part of being like a winning football program. And I think Odom served, I think successfully built a team that would run through a brick wall or two for him, their teammates and their alma mater. So there's that. They got a lot of ish and vinegar running through their veins right now. A lot of malcontent. So they got that going for him. And so intangibles aside, the exodus of Drew Locke and Emmanuel Hall. Changes the genetic makeup of this offense a lot. Granted, it changed from more it changed to more of a pro style offense last year with the entry of Derek Dooley as offensive coordinator. I think this is something that Barry Odom wanted to do from the start. And so it <laughs> it's not at all surprising that the mantra of run fast and throw hard. Just, just just do that go route real fast. I'll get the ball to you. Don't worry about it. I'll just throw it really hard Don't worry. I got it. You're good Why well, that might drive coaches like Derek Dooley or Barry Odom kind of crazy so enter Kelly Bryant a Prototypical high-level pro style game manager type quarterback for a coach that you know might have played extensive time as a linebacker in college might be the type of quarterback that someone like that would be looking for. Someone like Derek Dooley would be looking for. Someone closer to that product than Drew Locke, which I'll I'll give it to Dooley and Odom. They made they made it work. They made Drew Locke work pretty well in a sort of more pro style environment. On top of that, you got Cam Scott, Jonathan Johnson, Larry Rentry, Abreelkawebinom. Daniel Parker, Tyler Beatty, and Jalen Knox all back. I'm pretty sure they're all back. I might be wrong. But I'm pretty sure, like, at least most of them are back. Right, so they're all back. So Brian's got all kinds of nice weapons to use in that offense. And the defense led by guys like DeMarcus Ac at corner, Kel Garrett, and Jordan Garrett, who put up better numbers than Terry Beckner Jr., if you really look at the fine print. Well, they'll probably also be... Like, that whole defense would probably also be at least, you know, markedly better. It was a defense that required a lot of just reps, just experience, just getting their teeth punched in. I feel like a lot, that's valuable experience if you're trying to build, to trying to rebuild a defense to something a little bit more sturdy. So there's that. There's a lot to like here, I feel like. If you're a Mizzou fan or just a college football fan intrigued by what the heck Mizzou is going to do now, that it may not even go to a postseason. There's a lot to like here, I feel like. that's There's definitely, at the very least, seven wins here. And there are, at the very least, nine winnable games on that schedule. I feel like people forget this, but outside of like <laughs> some really bad luck in two games, Mizzou could have been, I could have been like a 10 win team last year if a ball move if the ball got tipped a couple different ways, but that's just life. And that's not, and relying on bad luck to keep you going, even if you're Mizzou. Even if you're another team with bad luck, that's not really a sustainable business model for your woes. So, where's that? Should be fun this year. Anyways, moving on to South Carolina. Holy God, that's get. We talk about just the odds are stacked against you from word jump. This schedule is one of them. Very text and M like they got a. So South Carolina's got to play Clemson. Of course, they got to play Alabama. They got to play Georgia. They got to play Texas A&M. And they got to play a few other teams who are also likely to have top 25 in the nation talent. At the very least, at least you can say that yeah, well, much champ in like or whatever took that mess of a Steve Spurrier squad and turned it into something respectable i feel like they won that outback bowl against michigan a couple of years ago so there's definitely something there even if the schedule even if the schedule results don't really show it jake bentley will probably end up being one of the best passers south carolina has ever seen and you'll still have guys like Rico Dowdle, Mon Denson, Shai Smith and Brian Edwards, guys who are really good skill players. And on top of that, I think another reason that South Carolina was so um, trending down last year, was is that everybody on defense got hurt more or less. That's probably not going to happen again. <laughs> There's a decent chance that not everybody on defense is going to be hurt this time around. So they got that going for him. And I feel like when it's all said and done, given like, I don't know, the daunting task of having to put up with all the all that freakish talent on the schedule, South Carolina will probably come out fine. They'll make it out alive, and there'll probably be a better program for it. I think that's the most I can say. <laughs> throw up your prayers for South Carolina, y'all, because they're going to need them whatever like mid-level bowl they end up in for their troubles anyways moving on to kentucky last year pretty good not too bad at long last that project that mark soup started finally seeing some like results results not just you know results not just you know beating northwestern in a bowl game Like, legit, like, winning 10 games and winning a, you know, a higher-level bowl. They finally scrapped some good stuff together with guys like, you know, Benny Snell, a super-solid running back, bona fide freak of nature, Josh Allen. And, you know, having guards like Bunchy Stallings, who's also an All-American, The bad news, but the bad news is, those three guys are pretty much gone now. For all intents and purposes, Josh Allen and uh, Benny Snell, both in the NFL. I don't know if Bunchy Stallings is too, but I... Maybe? Maybe, I don't know. So they're all gone, along with a couple safeties and a couple corners. So the goal now is to, now that we've seen like... The vision realized for Kentucky like this is what mark soup set out to do when he became head coach of this team the goal now is to get this again (laughs) Get this again With the squad that he built And to prove that this wasn't like a flash in the pan granted Kentucky also was helped by a couple you know the Winds of fate blowing in their direction favorably. A couple times. Just wanted to like throw that out there. That's not to discredit them or whatever. That's just, you know, how it is. So it wouldn't, so it won't be like, you know, too surprising if they have a more of a down year this year, especially since they're, you know, so depleted, especially on defense. And they're going to have to get a little bit more Out of an admittedly low-risk, you know, their low-risk scrambling quarterback, Terry Wilson, which I'm not super down on Terry Wilson. I think he's like a, you know, fine quarterback. He won't, like, turn over. He won't lose you the game is what I'm saying. But now that Benny Snell's gone, I feel like the onus is going to be on him to sort of, like, carry, like, that offense forward a little bit, at least a little bit, at least, you know, Further than he had already. Skepp to, you know, you know, let his hair down a little bit and show that he can be at least a good passer, if not adequate, at the very least. But the good news is at the end of the day, they still got a defensive line that's big by SEC standards. So that's pretty big. <laughs> They got a really big defensive line and their schedule is forgiving enough to, you know, account for the missing talent they have on both sides of the ball. All they really have to do now is just prove that, you know, that they are for real. That Mark Stoops, you know, figured it out. He got it. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out this year. They'll probably, they'll probably go to another bowl. Kentucky. That's my take. Uh, Will it be like a, Super fancy schmancy bowl, probably not. It'll still be a bowl. I don't think they're going to be Florida again this year, but it'll still be you know, you know, entertaining enough. Not too much of a downer, too much of a downer year. At least I don't think. I know some people are, you know, more trending down on Kentucky than others. Anyways, it'll be interesting interesting to see how that shakes out. Speaking of teams that are, you know, trending, this one's trending up, and that is the University of Tennessee, the Volunteers, Rocky Top, all that jazz. Officially out of Jeremy Pruitt's first full year of crutin, The fruits of that labor is Tennessee. It has a number 11 ranked recruiting class in all of college football and on top of that most of last year's volunteers squad is coming back including their quarterback jerry i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna try just give me a second Jared garantano i think that's right i really want to make sure i got that right Jared garantano their top three running backs their top five wideouts their sevens at least seven starting offensive linemen Most of their linebackers and most of their defensive backs, all those guys are back. And on top of that, Pruitt brought in the aforementioned Jim Chaney to be their offensive coordinator and Alabama defensive backs coach Derek Ansley to be their defensive coordinator and T Martin for that assistant head coaching gig and that passing game coordinator gig. I feel like when all that's said and done, there's some set, Tennessee's got the fixings to, you know, make a little bit of racket in the SEC East. At least be a contender for second place, I feel like. Because I don't think they're quite there yet to really challenge Georgia, I don't think. But at the end of the day, it'll still be a fun football team. It's definitely better off than it was last year because Tennessee was definitely like the epitome of a <laughs> of a year one work in progress type football team. That should probably change because it usually changes in year two. That's usually when the spike happens. So let's see if Pruitt's got the sauce to make that ship sink or swim. And then closing it out, you got Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, you still got Keyshawn Vaughn. Even though you got to play replace quarterback Kyle Shermer and like seven defensive starters, you still got some stuff around you to sort of make this thing work. Like big boy tight end Jared Pinkley and Khalidja Lipscomb, not a tight end, to sort of make that offense at least worth something. It's probably going to be another like middling year where maybe you're bull eligible. Maybe you're not. I don't know. That's a tough schedule. But if you learned anything from last year, especially during last year's game against Florida, is that Frank Mason and his boys will not be trifled with. No, sir. They will go down swinging. Even if it might be to their detriment. I feel like Vanderbilt still has to like, has to keep building upon like that big underdog energy they've been serving for like the past couple years and it almost worked like they almost like upset Mizzou in Columbia so they're close I feel like like no lie I feel like Vanderbilt is close to something even though they had to replace their uh, quarterback got some turnover on defense there might be something cooking in there with Frank Mason and even if there's not I definitely want wouldn't want to on the flip side of Frank Mason in a bar fight, so you got that going for you, Vanderbilt. That's some really, that's really good Tennessee energy. T- Tennessee energy to have, honestly. So you can pat yourselves on the back for that. And just like that, we will be back with some video game content for you. Playing a lot of video games this time, I think I can, you know, synergize with my sports segments. <laughs> got a little bit of both for you in this upcoming segment. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with some more quarter Circle Backboard here on KCLU 88.1 FM, kcou.fm. KCOU would like to remind you that Missouri Tiger football and basketball are brought to you by El Rancho. Catch every Mizzou football game and Mizzou men's basketball game on KCOU 88.1 FM and on KCOU.FM. While you are online, check out El Rancho's website at www.columbiamomexicanfood.com or visit them downtown at 1014 East Broadway. Thank you, El Rancho, for supporting KCOU Sports messages for all of you sitting in the passenger seat and apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable but how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel freaky right well why not just ask them to stop or better yet volunteer to text for them it might be a little awkward but believe me you'll live learn more at stop brought to you by the ad council and the national highway traffic safety administration welcome back to quarter circle backboard i am your host chris mitchell here delivering you The sports that you like, and the video games that I like. Coming in hot with the video game part of our show. Got to love those video games. Got a little bit of both. Got a little bit of video game and sports news. Sorry, I'm like meshed into one here. Talk a little bit about Madden 20. Those ratings are in. Everyone's talking about them. Everyone that still cares about Madden. Uh, some more Nintendo Switch news. Because Nintendo's not done with their Switch editions, believe it or not, outside of the Switch Lite. So, basically, what the deal is, alongside the Switch Lite, Nintendo announced a new regular Switch model. which boosts, which boasts, like, improved battery life, and that's really it. So, like, to put this in perspective, the original Switch's battery offered between 2.5 and 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 6.5 hours of playtime, according to Nintendo's estimates, but this revised version will deliver probably between 4.5 and and 9 hours of battery life, which would be better than the Switch Lite. Which that itself posted improved playtime over the original Switch. The revised edition of the OG Nintendo Switch will cost the same, believe it or not, as the old, as the OG version of the Nintendo Switch. Which I feel like that's pretty crucial. Just to like have it like, even if it was like, if it was like, even like 325, I'd be like, all right, what? I feel like it's kind of a scam, but the fact that it's, you know, at the same price as, like, the old Twitch feels like, you know, it feels right, is what I'm saying. Like, they're not doing anything, like, super crazy, like, processing-wise or, like, with the graphics or anything like that. It's just, you know, an improved battery life for when you want to play Super Mario Odyssey on the go. Or that new Pokemon Sword and Shield later in, like, November So that should be fun for people who don't have a Switch or who, you know, previously had a Switch but was turned off by the battery life on the old model and are looking to, like, get back into it either with the Switch Lite or this new and improved version of the Switch. Anyways, Madden 20! Madden 20 is just around the corner. And with that, EA dropped the highly coveted The highly sought for and asked for player ratings for everybody in the NFL. That's right. It's time to get mad at some NFL ratings. You know what? I feel like I should. (laughs) I probably should have done some prep time with it. Earlier just to like make it more of like a grandiose like segment. Getting mad at. uh, Madden ratings, but. As it turns out. The two highly touted teams according by Madden 20 standards are the Cowboys and the Eagles. They are the two highest rated teams in the game at the moment. Good for them. I mean, we saw how that shook out last year in the playoffs, but you know. Good for that. There, there's your coins. But anyways, that's not why we're here. What we're here for right now. Is we're going to dissect every single quarterback rating in Madden 20. That's right, all of them. Starting with quarterback on the top of the list. One, Patrick Mahomes for the Kansas City Chiefs. With an overall rating of 97. Which I feel like if you come off an MVP season, racking up like 50 touchdowns, and you know, intercept like a amount of interceptions that's like not super crazy or like worrisome. That's yeah, I feel like you you'd you'd at least have to be like ninety five or above if you come off an MVP year. At least that's just my opinion. No like inherent Chiefs bias in there at all, I promise. Trust me. Okay, but for the Chiefs bias take, I feel like there is not a numerical rating scale for which you can grade Patrick Mahomes. He's too good for that. He cannot be contained by numbers, I'll have you know. That's just Pat, man. Up next, number two, right behind him is Tom Brady, which, you know, yeah, I mean, that's a goat. 99 awareness, which, duh. 60 speed, which, you know, yeah, that sounds about right. 66 acceleration, 70 agility. I don't think those grades are going to go up any further as the years progress. But yeah, Tom Brady, 96, that sounds right. Up next, you got Phillip Rivers coming off probably his best season to date. With a 94 overall ranking. That also feels pretty right. I'd also have him in like the mid-90s. Because he like, for all like the flack I'd like to give Phil Rivers for just being goofy in like big time games. <laughs> like he really like, he really earned his keep and earned respect last season. So tip of the hat to P-Riv. Shout out to Lamarillard. After that, you got Drew Brees, rated ninety-two overall. Which, I mean, sure. Yeah, that works. He also he himself too, I think, was a product of like, or like a benefactor of the offense boom in the last couple of years. That's just my take. Having guys like Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas on your squad, Mark Ingram, definitely didn't hurt. Did that show up in the playoffs? Uh, You can make the argument for no. But yeah, 92 sounds right. After that, you got Andrew Luck, also rated 92. Which, you know, after the past couple seasons Andrew Luck has had, the fact that he like was able to perform at the level that he did last year is pretty incredible. It's really something that he he was able to fight through all that and still come out one of the best quarterbacks in the league, at least for my money. So shout out to him. After that, you got Russell Wilson at ninety, Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry, Russell Wilson at ninety one. Aaron Rodgers at 90. Matt Ryan at 89, which... I'm kind of surprised at Matt... I feel like Matt Ryan should be, like, at least 90. For, like, the work that dude put in last year to, like, make up for Atlanta's just horrid, just terrible defense. He had to put up some numbers, fam. I feel like that should at least warrant you a 90. In a ranking scale. After that, you got Ben Roethlisberger, which... Ranked 85 overall, which, okay, now I'm starting to, like, mm, do, you like, the little chin scratch because this puts him ahead of guys like Ham Newton, Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, and Deshaun Watson, who also, at least for my money, you know, could make the argument that they're playing at a higher level than Ben Roethlisberger you could make the argument that at this moment in time right now, they could be better quarterbacks. than Ben Roethlisberger right now. Again, I guess we won't really know until, oh yeah, and uh, what's his face? Who's that man? Carson Wentz, quarterback for the Eagles. I feel like you could also make the argument that When he was healthy, he also played quarterback at a higher level than Roethlisberger. I don't know. And after that, I thought those numbers got came in 84. Jared Goff at 83. Baker Mayfield, 83. Deshaun Watson, 82. Carson Wentz, 82. And they got Kirk Cousins at 81, which (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean if you've watched Kirk play at all anywhere. This dude's like the epitome of like average quarterback. And I feel like that's where that's where you're at at like the eighty one scale in Madden. Anywhere between like the high seventies, low eighties. That's pretty pretty average. On the cusp of like good. Um, of like good trademark. So yeah, there's that. Dak Prescott also pretty average. Of course, having Amari Cooper helped a lot, boost his sort of pedigree. It definitely helps a lot. But yeah, that that feels right for Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott being an eighty one guy. Could have to see a little bit more from Dak to warrant that uh that higher rating. I feel like. After that, you got Derek Carr and Andy Dalton both tied at 80, which, man, whew, you want to talk about dips, man, on some level, I do feel bad for Derek Carr because he was having like an MVP caliber season before he just got just completely broken, and I think if you watch some games last year, you could see not just the physical breaking, but the emotional and spiritual breaking. On top of that, in some of those games, where it felt like the O-line just completely abandoned him to his fate to be dropped on his butt by a linebacker. So there's that. And, of course, there's Andy Dalton, who, yeah, it's it's Andy Dalton. What do you want? It's Andy Dalton. Come on. Who are we kidding? Then you got Marcus Mariota. Matthew Stafford, Jimmy G, Nick Foles, Alex Smith, Lamar Jackson, Jameis Winston. Stafford at 79 is kind of like pfft, interesting. Because you, you've probably heard the arguments for and against Matt Stafford. Puts up crazy numbers, but have you seen him play against, you know, winning teams? Have you seen him play against defenses with actual talent? It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you can produce against bottom feeders. But when you got to like, you know, play against the big boys, you got some problems. Now, of course, I feel like I feel like with Jimmy G, a lot of it's speculative. I mean, like most of these are like speculative, speculative, but on like a different level. The Garoppolo stuff is pretty, uh, Garoppolo's pretty, uh, uh, speculative because we, I feel like we still really haven't seen what this guy can do yet. I really do. Like, I still need like a full season before I can judge him on like, uh, I don't know to judge whether or not he's worth a 78 or not. He got Nick Foles, which I mean, sure. 77. Yeah. Jaguars paid like $80 million for Nick Foles. Good for you, Nick Foles, honestly. Get your money. We got Alex Smith at 77, which pff, I was probably not going to pan out. After my man got Joe Theismann. Then you got Lamar Jackson at 76, which, yeah, that sounds about right. He's got to stop dropping the ball. he got to start passing a little bit more. But he's got legs, though. Shout out to that. And then James Winston at 76. Sounds about right. Ryan Fitzpatrick rating 75, which I feel like, mm, I feel like he should be higher. <laughs> I feel like he and Jameis should be at the same level because I feel like they were both playing at the same level last year. And then you got at 75 Mitch Trubisky, which made a lot of people upset. I saw it. I was there online. People mad that Mitch Trubisky was under like an 80 rating. I, which, I mean, I mean, check the tape on Trubisky. You know what he does. You know what he doesn't do. You know where he needs to improve. Don't act new to the Mitch Trubisky experience. They got Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Joe Flacco, Ryan Tannehill, all the same rating, 74. But yeah, that sounds right for Tannehill, Darnold, Flacco, Allen. I'm not quite sure. I feel like we're gonna need like I don't know. The sample size for him like being competent like isn't like big enough yet. I think the same might go for Sam Darnold, but those those two have shown, shown some flashes. I feel like. I think those two got some. I think those two got some potential. I've. Well, to be fair, though, I'm pretty high on Sam Darnold. Probably higher than most people, to be honest, but I don't know. I think he might have some juice. Then you got Teddy Bridgewater at 73, Case Keenum at 73, and then, yeah. Yeah, Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins. (laughs) I like how Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins are both a higher level, or at least on the same level as Eli Manning. (laughs) That's really funny. Cause man, oh boy, Eli, my man, my dog, he's just, he's still there by hook or by crook. That man's still there whether you like it or not. Anyways, that's all the quarterbacks I care about. Those are the ratings I care about. Do I agree with most of them? Uh, Do I care that much to like make like pointed, pointed arguments about it? Not really. Am I going to play bad? No. Why not because I am playing NCAA football 14 That is literally all I've been playing these past three days because that game. Oh my god. It's like stupid fun <laughs> It really is I've been playing the uh, dynasty mode And I put the onus on my brother Andy to like decide who should be my dynasty team and of course he gave me What any caring brother would do in this situation who's knowledgeable about college football who wants to see me succeed? He said, turn Pitt into a dynasty. I said, okay. I'm currently 10-0 right now. It was Pitt in my first season. Coming off probably the most stressful game I've ever played of anything in my life. <laughs> no, for real. Like, a couple hours ago, I just beat in-game North Carolina 52-49, 48, I think. It was way closer than it had any right being, but, man... That pit defense has some issues, just like tackling. It's not that pit defense. That initial defense you get isn't really fast. It isn't really, you know, strong per se. It can it can get muscled around by you know running backs, <laughs> offensive linemen, pretty easily. So that's been frustrating trying to keep up with that. But the good news is, I turned Kenny Pickett into a passing touchdown machine. So that's been fun. Been enjoying that a lot. I'm ready to get my hands on, like, I'll be ready to, you know, turn this team into something that I actually want with players I actually like. Because God love him. If he's a real person, he probably is. But if he's out there, Will Gregg is just, oh, my God. (laughs) He's Pitt's tight end. And he's pretty big. Like, he's a big fella. Like, if he, if he, like, catches a football, he'll probably carry a defender on his back or carry a defender or two on his back and just drag him for a little bit. That is if he can catch the ball at all because his hands are, like, oh His hands are, like, bricks. If the ball is, like, a magnet, it's like, a polar side of the magnet, his hands are, like, that same polar magnet. It's very frustrating, especially if you have to do, like, tasks, like, I don't know pass to a tight end for a hundred yards for X amount of touchdowns. It's very, it's not easy, but you know, I I will cherish when I actually get a tight end, you know, worth the energy to pass to on a post route. I'm going to enjoy that a lot. Anyways, I think that'll just about do it for the video game segment. When we come back, we got some big, big basketball news, some NBA news that like, just happened like right after the show ended last week. So we're going to talk a little bit about that here on Quarter Circle Backboard. Do not go anywhere. I'm Chris Mitchell. We'll be right back. Sundays at 9 a.m., it's the Weekly Walkthrough. Tune into KCOU 88.1 FM to hear Ethan Salm and Nick Catlin recap everything that happened in the world of sports this week. Start your Sunday off right with the Weekly Walkthrough. Follow us on Twitter at WeeklyWalkKCOU for updates on the show. And remember to tune in to KCOU 88.1 at 9 a.m. on Sundays. Man. whether it be t-shirts for your charity event or jerseys for your intramural team one-to-one print shop can handle your custom apparel needs if you need inspiration in crafting the design you can follow them on facebook and instagram at one-to-one print shop to check out some of their latest work you can also visit their website at one-to-one print com. that's o-n-e-t-o-o-n-e print com. <laughs> is happening, y'all. You're listening to Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCU.FM. I was not looking at the time, so we're a little bit, you know, we're stretching it a little bit thin, so I'm going to keep this brief with some of this NBA news. Although it should probably speak for itself. Russell Westbrook is out of Oklahoma City. Got traded to the Houston Rockets for Chris Paul and a couple of first-round picks. So that means uh... I don't know. I don't know how that's going to shake out in Houston because yeah, Russell Westbrook and James Harden did play together in OKC. They, they went to the finals together with Kevin Durant. For those of you who don't know, but man, in that like span that like six, seven, eight year span, they turned into, you know, very different players. And by that, I mean, they both require like a decent percentage of touches to make their offenses work. So I don't know how that's going to shake out between James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I don't know how much off-ball stuff Brody's going to be doing. I don't know how much off-ball stuff Harden's going to be doing if they're both sharing the court at the same time. Could be a disaster. Could be fun. I don't know. Could be interesting to see. And then the Thunder are not currently looking for any suitors for Chris Paul because they're not around. There currently are not any suitors for Chris Paul at the moment. Granted, that's probably because the because we've just, you know, exited like the heavy, heavy, like free agency period. So all the contracts are good and signed, and they're probably going to keep all of those contracts, those who signed them at the very least, at least for now. So they got until the trade deadline to, you know, find Chris Paul a suitable suitor for a playoff, you know, caliber team maybe, and Chris Paul has enough time to, you know, make a case for himself that he's worth, you know, shilling out some bucks for to eat up that contract. And what he's got working in his favor is that when Harden wasn't around, Chris Paul did look a lot like, you know, vintage, not probably not vintage Chris Paul, but you know, the Chris Paul we're, you know, we've come to expect. So there is, there is that. And so there is going, I think there's going to be some inherent trade value in Chris Paul already. It's probably going to, what I think the Thunder is going to do right now, what both parties are going to do, is they're going to find a way to maximize Chris Paul's tradeability, make him more of a potential suitor for other teams. I think that's how that first chunk of the season is going to go for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then you got Ben Simmons signing a contract extension that five-year, $170 million that, you know, that Jamal Murray scratch. <laughs> Shout out to Jamal Murray. First carry on that bag with the Denver Nuggets. Which is a bad contract, but, you know, good for him for getting that money. Man, I still don't know how I feel about Ben Simmons. The way they market Ben Simmons as, like, their point guard. Even though he doesn't have a jump shot. Because I feel like Ben Simmons, as good as he is, and he's pretty good. Arguably worth that max contract. Oh, I feel like you'd have to feel a little bit better about it if he had a jumper of any kind whatsoever. Because him and Embiid, that might be a dy- they—they're a dynamic duo, no buts about it. But with them together, especially with guys like Horford on the squad now, there is a little bit of a spacing issue that inherently comes with those two because they can't really, you know, like space the four for each other because they're pretty poor uh, three-point shooters. Embiid being a poor three-point shooter and Ben Simmons being a poor three-point shooter by virtue of not having a jumper at all. Which I feel like you could go on and on about, you know, you know, does it really matter that he has a jumper? I feel like at some point it does. I don't know if we've reached that point yet, but I feel like we're going to reach it at some point during this contract. And I feel like when we do... Oh, boy. (laughs) A good luck fighting trade candidates, I guess... Or a good luck, you know, eating crow on that max contract. Anyways, I think that'll about do it. Here for quarter circle backboard. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know it's late. Really sorry about that. And and one more before we go. Big shout out to Vlad Guerrero Jr. I know it's been a couple weeks. We're like two weeks removed from the All-Star game. But he hung so much dong in that home run derby. Breaking all those records. Really solidifying the Vlad Guerrero Jr. hype train as like a, you know, public thing as opposed to just i don't know a few inside niche baseball fans who were you know big Guerrero junior fans back in the day so i'm glad to see that hype is you know being projected for the world to see because he deserves it because that kid could be pretty good anyways that's pretty much all i have to say about that i'm chris mitchell do not go anywhere because we got a show coming up next on safe harbor see y'all later